This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, some things are just better together. Peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and chocolate. Thank you, Reese's. Campfire and s'mores. Macaroni and cheese. Am I speaking your language yet? Well, what about nonprofits? Not really. Is together really better? Well, for two of our country's largest nonprofits, the answer is yes. Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America just announced a new collaborative partnership with the Girl Scouts of the USA to help young women create lasting and meaningful relationships. And here with me to talk about this new collaborative partnership is Artis Stevens, the first black CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters, and Judith Batty, who has served as interim CEO of the Girl Scouts and was also the first black CEO of the Girl Scouts. You don't want to miss the insights they share on today's show. You know, I also want to give a shout out to Christine O'Connor for her endorsement of our show. And, and she actually sent me a quick note. And here's what she said. This podcast is a must listen for anyone interested in the nuts and bolts of nonprofit work or the big picture impact of the social sector. Christine, I love your words. Thank you so much for that shout out. Love it. So if you're listening to this show and you really love it and you found it helpful, send me a review or, or give the show a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this show. All right, enough of the intro, now on to the show. Well, this is very newsworthy. Big Brothers Big Sisters of America just announced a new partnership with Girl Scouts of America to help young women create a lasting and meaningful relationship with their big, little troop leader or fellow Girl Scout. Now, these are two huge nonprofits who've decided together is better. And here to talk to me about this new collaborative partnership is Artis Stevens, the first black CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters, and Judith Batty, who has served as the interim CEO of the Girl Scouts. And by the way, I want to announce that just recently, within the last week, I understand that, Judith, you have handed the baton of leadership to Sophia Chang, who's the new CEO. So I'm glad to have both of you on the show today. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's obvious. It just comes through and as you answer these questions. You're very collaborative just in general, it seems like. But certainly as you come together with these organizations, you're very much having this collaborative spirit. Now, collaboration, though, can be difficult. And I'm not totally sure why. You know, there's some guesses. Maybe there's competition out there for donors or there's, well, I'm busy with my own organization. I don't have time to collaborate with others. There's a lot of excuses or, or just reasons perhaps some nonprofits don't collaborate. But I am curious on your point of view, you're both very collaborative. It's obvious. Why doesn't it happen more often, particularly on the national scale? Like I don't see a ton of large nonprofit organizations like your organizations that you represent doing what you're doing. And I wonder why. What, what's your thought on that? You know, it, that's a really good question. And, you know, I, I think we have a history in nonprofit where a lot of the history was based in, in, in terms of, you, you mentioned the competitive spirit, the competitive sense of, of, of donors, right? And, and donations and, and what you had to do. Some of it was resource capacity, right? That you were limited in, in your resource. So the ability to be able to 
partner effectively with other organizations, it was like so much that was happening insular, right? That you had to build and try to build capacity and put a lot of focus and a lot of energy. And then when you you had the time, you were out trying to fundraise and, and build fundraising. And and the 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 environment wasn't always made for a partnership, right? It was made for uniquely trying to get restricted money, unrestricted money to be able to support program programmatic development and support staff. So there's a lot of historical stuff that, that we probably could go on for a podcast just by itself <laughs> to, to talk about the context. But here's what I'll say though. And but I think there's a pivot. And I think there's a pivot where organizations are coming and saying, listen, this is going to be better for our organizations to be able to complement each other and see the unique needs and meet young people, meet communities, whatever my constituents are, to meet them in better ways. Because what, what I think we're seeing is a sense of creating more of an ecosystem around the constituent, right? And how do we create a broader ecosystem and knowing that you can't provide all those services alone and you can't solve the challenges alone. So who can you bring to the table that can help support that? I think we're also seeing something very different in the the philanthropy space, right? Where I think there's more of a demand, endorsement, appreciation from donors, corporate partners, people that invest who are looking for innovative solutions and innovative ways of how you bring people to the table and bring partnerships to the table. And then the last thing I'll say is that I think there's even upswell from our, our, our local affiliates, particularly large national federated affiliate-based models, where your local affiliates are saying, hey, we can get more out of our local relationships Is there if there's more of an umbrella of what you're doing at a, at a national scale. So I think there's a lot of forces that are moving us there. And, and one thing I did mention that I should have mentioned, I think the type of leaders that are coming on board to these organizations today they come with, they're coming in with a mindset that how can I be as innovative to meet the need and innovative in every single way, programmatically, resource-wise, financially, in the human resources standpoint. And I think that's generating a lot more to the table around what's spurring continuation of building partnerships and building stronger partnerships together. I totally agree with that. And I, I'll add that the one, if you call it a benefit of COVID, <laughs> is that it, it actually forced people to sort of step back and say, okay, how can I do this better? How can I be more effective? How can I have bigger reach? And people had time to actually think about that and, and strategize, you know, together is always better. You have, you know, there's more, there's more resources, there's more people, there's, there are more girls. And as long as you thought it out, thought it through, you're in a much better place. And I, and I think with the, lockdown, people had time to sort of reflect. They weren't go, go, go. Let me get my donors. Let me, you know, get my programming. They had time to sit and think and reflect and strategize and think about the future. And when you think about the future, this is, this is the future. I really think you're absolutely right. COVID caused us all to hit the pause button, not just personally, but of course with our organizations. And you know, it's interesting. I've had some guests on the show before that have talked about some of the changes that are coming out of COVID now as we're moving into this new normal, if you want to call it that. Um, And one of the things that I've heard on a repeated basis now, it's really, I'd say it's now turning into a theme. As we look across all these nonprofits across our country, let alone the world, I've had many people on the show talk about how 
perhaps there's too many nonprofits and that what we need to do that COVID kind of really rose to the top in terms of as we reflected and as we paused and said, okay, well, how can we do this better is to consolidate and bring nonprofits together more as opposed to being so splintered and spread out. Now, you are obviously separate organizations, but you are choosing to work together. Do you agree that maybe we have too many nonprofits? Do we need to consolidate in order to create greater efficiency and even greater impact? And if so, maybe is this model of working together, maybe it's an alternative to actually merging, but it's actually just saying, hey, let's work together, but not necessarily merge. What would you say on that whole idea of that maybe there's too many nonprofits and we need to consolidate more? I don't think you ever have too many nonprofits. There's a lot of need in the world. I think it's incumbent, though, for nonprofits to understand what their purpose is and to understand what need they're serving and to have leadership that that understands that and then they do that. I think one of the things that plagues nonprofits is not having the resources, the training, the leadership to actually accomplish their purpose. And so, you know, capacity building for nonprofits is really, really important. And one of the things that, that we do with our councils is capacity building so that they are effective as well. And so I don't think there are too many. And I think the people that might think there are too many are it's it's because some of them some of the nonprofits don't have maybe the right capacity leadership strategy out there. But there's not too many. You just they 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 just need maybe a little direction. There is a lot of need out there and there are a lot of people who depend on nonprofits for a variety of different things. And with all the nonprofits out there, we still can't satisfy the need. I do think that partnerships like this are the way of the future. They are they benefit the two organizations, but more importantly, they benefit the recipient, right? In in our case, they benefit the girls. But no, there aren't I I do not believe there are too many nonprofits. Okay. No, thank you for that. Thanks for your insights. Artist, what's your take on that? I think Judith hit it on, on the head. I don't think so either. And I think a lot of what she she shared is what I would echo, right? So uh, instead of repeating and and, and and sharing her answer again, I'll just say amen to that. <laughs> That's great. Good answer. All right. Well, let's stay with the topic of the impact COVID has had on nonprofits and our world for that matter. And I want to narrow the focus to specifically the mental and emotional health of our young kids. I'm sure you two heard this. When the U.S. Surgeon General, who recently just actually made this startling, some people say shocking statement, essentially, I'm just going to paraphrase, the U.S. Surgeon General essentially said the greatest crisis facing our young people in today's culture is a mental health crisis. Now, the two of you are working with organizations that obviously serve this next generation, these young people in our country. Do you agree with the U.S. Surgeon General's comment that really the biggest issue facing our young people is this mental health crisis? And if so, if you agree, what are your two organizations doing to address the mental and emotional health of our young people? Yeah, it, men, mental health and, and mental health challenges are real. And they are real. They are acute. And they are happening all across our country and they are affecting our young people significantly. We see it every single day in the population uh, that we serve and the communities that we serve. We face challenges in this space, in this area that I think has certainly been exacerbated by the pandemic, right? So many kids being social, socially isolated, so many kids losing contact and connection 
with family members and positive adults. We see it 20% of our young people uh, reported last year of losing the contact with an important adult uh, in their life. I mean, you think about that. You think about the significance trauma that that puts in their life. And we, we also see the not just the, the, the firsthand trauma, but the secondary trauma, right, that our staff and volunteers. So we, like, just like Girl Scouts, we are, um, you know, staff orchestrated and professionally ran, but we are driven by volunteers, right? So in mobilizing volunteers, they're, they're seeing and having that contact with, with families. You know, when you look at our families, right, that our families are 55% who live in poverty. We have 60% of our kids who are in single family households. We got another quarter of our kids who a parent is incarcerated or in parole. Now those numbers don't define who they are, but we also know that at, at the very same time, it sets up a, a context of environments where when things hit and things hit hard, it hits worse for them in the communities that we serve. And that's so, why it's so critical and it's so important that the programs delivery that we have from a relational standpoint are really embracing the, the, the components of trauma-informed care. And that's something that we've dug into deep in the implementation of our programs. We are developing a lot around uh, supporting our volunteers and our staff in mental health training, not that they're mental health experts, but how to identify, right? To understand and to identify signs uh, with young people, but also as well as to make connections within the family so that when they see things, they're able to work with families much more effectively. They're able to work with partners in the community to bring in the types of support systems that may be needed. And they're also able to connect and identify with schools very effectively so that when we're talking about the spaces that kids are in, whether that's in school, whether that's at home, whether that's in sort of the after school or out of school environment, that you're seeing every sphere of the life and very specifically for us, because we are so intimately involved in a young person's life because of the one-to-one relationship, there's a level of depth that we have and understanding that we're able to both facilitate, communicate, and connect more effectively with all those worlds that a young person uh, lives in. So that's been really big for us. It's going to continue to be incredibly important for the work that we that we do. And one of the areas that that we're really uh, honed in on is uh, the effect of mental health in BPOC uh, communities uh, as well, knowing that there is a significant area of mental health trauma. And I say that very specifically, knowing that even here recently, we had a board member uh, who took her life. I think many of you know, Chesley Chris. Um, she was on our board and a friend of mine. And this was, as her mom expressed it, it was high-functioning depression, right? And you would have never known, right, but how much she was carrying and the weight that she was carrying. And this is the realness, right, of what's happening with so many people in our society and so many kids in our society. And it makes you think about, hey, could, could there be someone in your life who's, who, who's walking around and you don't know and you don't identify that? And, and are there things that we can at least ensure to say, hey, you're not alone in this, you're supported, you're valued, and that people see that connectivity. And, and again, that's why I say the context of the relationships we provide and the delivery of services that we provide are so critically important. So I said all that, and I'm sorry I went so long, but it's just the reinforcement of the affirmation of absolutely mental health is a significant issue in our country today. Well, well said, and thank you for sharing so personally too. Appreciate that. Judith, what would you add to that? 
there's not a lot to add, but I totally totally agree with, with artists. You know, one of the things that we've found, our programs are research-based and we have a survey every year, Girl Scout Voices Count. And one of the things that we found from parents and from girls is at the height of the lockdown, you know, Girl Scouts went virtual. And one of the things we found is parents and girls both said the virtual connection kept them going. It made, you know, the lockdown easier. It made life easier. And that connection, that connection to a group, to a caring adult is, is, it's just so important. I can't overstate how important that is. And so both big brothers, big sisters, and Girl Scouts, that caring adult with the girl is key. And for us, mental health is paramount as well. One of the things that we're doing as well is training our volunteers and our staff because you can't help a girl if you're in trouble yourself, right? So we're not only supporting them, but also training them also so that they can recognize, you know, what the signs are, what the issues are. Not that they'll be mental health professionals either, but they'll know who to call or, you know, whether something is serious and what kind of reaction they they should have. So they are better equipped to deal with whatever issues there are. And that's particularly important for us in the summer when we have camp. Because we have the girls 24-7 for a week or two weeks. And so our volunteers and our counselors, they need to understand, you know, they need to be supported and they need to be able to support the girls. So, yeah, we are spending a lot of time both doing training for ourselves and for our staff and for our volunteers and then also for our girls. But it's it's really interesting that we have a Girl Scout Advisory Board of uh, GSUSA. And I got to meet with the advisory board. It's, it's um, high school girls, 27 of them. And when I asked them what was the most important issue for them, that's what mental health was, was their answer. And they said Girl Scouts was a big part of them staying focused, staying sane. So yeah, it is a big issue for all of us. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show.
That's very powerful, though, that confirmed it and the fact that Girl Scouts was so critical to keep them on the right track. No doubt about it, both of your organizations have a great track record when it comes to long-term impact, and you've done a lot of research on this. In fact, I've learned lately that nearly 9 out of 10 Girl Scout alums would say they've achieved a high sense of life satisfaction, both personally and professionally. And then 93% of Big Brothers Big Sisters youth participants, affectionately called Littles, of course, attribute the presence of an adult who cares and looks out for them is very important and has actually helped them achieve their goals. How have your two organizations been so good at that and accomplished this over these many, many years? So for us, for Girl Scouts, I think um, the, the key for us is one is the caring adult, but two, we're girl-led. So girls learn early on how to use their voice, right? They learn how to say, I want this, I want that. I don't want this, I don't want that. And so when they get into high school, when they get into college, when they get into, when they start their career, they're not afraid to speak up. You know, I'll, I'll tell a personal story. Um, I worked at ExxonMobil for 28 years and I was in a meeting and there was a new woman in the meeting, new to ExxonMobil, and, and very young, just out of school. She was in public affairs. And she listened through the whole meeting. And then after the meeting, she pulled me aside and she had something to say, but she didn't feel comfortable saying it in the meeting. And so I counseled her and I said, you know, that's a great point. You need to speak up and this is how you say it. And, you know, I just, gave her some encouragement. And it was interesting because that woman, when I became the interim CEO of Girl Scouts, she wrote me a note and said, I remember when you did that for me. Wow. You know, that's powerful. And, uh, yes, exactly. And that's what Girl Scouts does. It teaches girls from a very early age how to speak up. And, you know, women who speak up, <laughs> they have a better career. They have not taken advantage of you know, they, they just, they're happier and they have a better life. And so that's why those numbers are where they are, because they are women who know their mind and speak, speak up. Well said. Yeah. Artist, what would you add to that? Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the history of our organization has certainly been staying uh, focused on mission, right? Staying at the core of what we do. And at the same time, being innovative enough to ensure that we're continuing to hone and be relevant in terms of what's happening in young people's lives, right? And meeting them and their families where they are, right? So the, the idea of one-to-one mentoring either for us is, is at core, but we also know that one-to-one is something that has to be built upon, right, and developed. So one-to-one can look like in a lot of different ways. We have peer mentoring, right, where high school kids are mentoring uh, younger kids, we have technology-enhanced mentoring, where the innovation is then taken to say, how do we support the idea of connection and mentorship when you may not even be in the same city with each other? And are there ways that we can do more uh, experiences uh, and modeling uh, with each other? Uh, when we think about what's happening in, in our world today in terms of our economy, corporate America, companies, the idea of career mentoring, being able to provide that. So this space is so broad and it's so expansive. And one thing that we've done is to ensure that we are always being evidence-based. We're always being uh, true to our mission and authentic to our mission, but always being innovative in how we think about 
delivering the experience for young people in ways that are going to fit them and their voice and their interests and their connections. And I think that's been true to us. And, 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 and then fundamentally, I would say that we are an organization that has been built upon the idea of mentoring young people. But you cannot do that well if you don't mentor the people that deliver programs for young people, right? So uh, I would say over, you know, 117 years, one of the things that I'm most proud of about this organization is how we mentor our own people, our staff, right? Because I think that's at the core of our successes in the organization, that our people, that our volunteers have truly grown and developed. We always uh, talk about this, that our, our volunteers will tell you that they're impacted more in the relationship with the little then they felt like they've impacted the load, right? It's the reciprocal sense of mentoring that we believe in. It's not transactional. It's not one way. And I think it's been the core of that, that essence, those fundamentals that have allowed us to continue to do what we do best, but also to build the types of programs and deliveries that ensure that we're staying relevant to meet kids, families, and communities where they are. Well, good stuff. Well, one last question for the two of you. You both have had tremendous experience and you do see a lot of the country in terms of, you know, what nonprofits are facing and what communities are facing. What do you feel like is the single greatest challenge facing the nonprofit sector now and in the near future? And perhaps we'll start with you, Artis, on that one. Yeah, I, I, I will probably just build off of what, what I just said. I, I think it, it, it begins, starts and ends with me with people and talent, right? Talent is, is the core of what makes our, our organization the, the engine grow, whether that's talent on the staff level, talent on the volunteers, talent in the boardroom, and then ultimately cultivating and maximizing the talent of the young people uh, that we empower, right? So it is, to me, that's fundamental. And I think what you're, you're seeing today, whether you're talking about the great resignation, whether you're talking about where things sort of stand in terms of how people and their mental health and their stability whether you're talking about the, the sense of extraordinary pull on organizations at the local level and the sense of not getting the investment sometimes in the fundamentals, what I call the engine of an organization with this unrestricted funding, right? A lot of people don't like to talk about that. Sure, <laughs> but, right. But it's core, right? It's core to the idea of how an organization like ours operates. And we have to ensure that more people understand the sense of how these organizations run how talent drives, how we attract, retain, grow talent, and that the sense of the funding mechanisms for these organizations continue to grow is not for donors to come in and say, here's how you should spend every single thing that, that, that we invest and in, that we, we give you, but understanding that there's a trust-based philanthropy to say, you're an amazing organization, you're a great organization, we're going to invest in you, and we're going to trust that you're going to deliver on the outcomes to truly make change and to make impact in the communities. We have to change that kind of paradigm in our country and the way that philanthropy and, and causes in the charitable space is supported because that's how you truly make transformation uh, in this country and truly trying to catalyze talent, catalyze people and have trust-based philanthropy so that we can th- grow and thrive and sustain as organizations. Yeah. I will echo that. Um, One of the things I said earlier was around capacity building. And you cannot have capacity building in your organization if you have restricted funds, right? If you're only getting restricted funds, because those are programming funds. But you need to be able to train your people. You need to have computer systems that work. You need to be able to, you know, have, you need to be able to pay your people. 
<laughs> um, so, and that's, that's all, you know, unrestricted funds, right? You need, you need spaces and places for people to learn and grow and train. And that is probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges for, for not for profits today is, is to have the wherewithal to be able to capacity build. And you can't grow if you, if you can't, if you don't have that capacity, if you don't have the backbone. The other, the other part of that, the other thing that I think is, is kind of, is not kind of, it is relevant for, for not for profits is I do think there's been a paradigm shift since COVID. And so it is now figuring out how you stay relevant and what your delivery model is, what your, what your programming model is, because it, it, has to, it has to change a little bit. Things of the world has, has changed and it's different. And so you have to adapt and grow. The one thing about both of our organizations is that we've stayed around so long because we've adapted and grown. And so we need to continue to do that. But nonprofits are going to have to adapt and grow because the world is different. Well, great insights from both of you. Again, thank you for being on the show. And congratulations again, both of you. That's a significant thing that both of you have been the first Black CEO of your respective organizations. Congratulations. That's a big deal. And thanks again for taking time to be on the show to share your insights with us. Now, for people that are listening, how can people find out a little bit more about you and your respective organizations? So for Girl Scouts, we have a great website, girlscouts.org. Everything is there. And if you're wondering about Girl Scout programming, there's even a space where you can try out different badges to understand what our programming is about. So girlscouts.org, great website. And for Big Brothers Big Sisters, you just go to bbbs.org. Again, that's bbbs.org. And you can find a local agency. You can put in your zip code and you can find a local agency that's, that's nearest you, as well as find resources on mentoring and how you can support and how you can help. For those who are interested in getting connected with me, LinkedIn is, is the best source. So you can find me at, at Artist Stevens at LinkedIn. Would, would love to connect and learn more and, and share more about our story and the work that we're doing. And I too am on LinkedIn. Both of them, excellent. Well, again, both of you, uh, Judith and Artis, thank you for taking time and giving us your leadership insights. And thanks for all you do to really make a huge impact across our country. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.